Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. Joining me today is my friend of the Chase Down podcast, Justin Rowan. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing great, Mac. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I have to apologize. I'm getting this on the recording. I'm getting this on the record. Last time I agreed to come on, I double booked because I'm the absolute worst. So it, it's <laughs> nice to be able to make that up to you. Absolutely nothing personal. I love talking uh, talking hoops, talking calves with you. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to, to finally be back on, on the podcast. All that tells me is that you really love to talk basketball. And so, you know, it happens. It is what it is. No hard feelings. Man, it, it's been a long offseason, and I am so freaking glad that we are nearing the end of it with training camp and preseason right around the corner. But with yesterday's bombshell of a trade, man, the Damian Lillard trade involving Obviously, Damian Lillard himself, DeAndre Ayton on the move, Drew Holiday unexpectedly, and a few others, you know, yep. along with some picks. What was your initial reaction to that deal? Well, I mean, I was surprised it was Milwaukee. Like, in my mind, I was thinking it was either going to be Miami or Toronto. Uh, those were the teams uh, that were most frequently talked about when, when it came to the Lillard trade. So to see Milwaukee get him was a big surprise. And, you know, moving on from Drew Holiday is a major step for the Bucs. Uh, I think it was the right call because as great as Drew Holiday is defensively, when it comes to guard defense in particular, like the best elite offensive players that you're going to see in the playoffs are going to get their games off no matter how well you defend them. Uh, and we saw that with Jimmy Butler, right? Like it's Drew Holiday wasn't playing bad defense. Jimmy was just cooking because that's what Jimmy does in the playoffs. I really felt like Milwaukee needed that infusion of offense Trading off some defense for offense, I, I think, was the right call. But I was happy. You know, as a Cavs fan, even though it makes Milwaukee stronger, um, it doesn't help Miami get to that tier of, you know, legitimate contender. It doesn't, you know, make Toronto all of a sudden this team that we have to worry about. There's a team that's probably already ahead of the Cavs in the power rankings that got a little bit better, but they're going to play a different style. And, and I, I find that to be very interesting. In terms of fit, like we already knew that, uh, you know, that team uh, acquiring a player like uh, Damian Lillard, for one, he's a phenomenal offensive talent and he should be able to, and that's the key word, should, he should be able to um, offset any defensive deficiencies that he might have or really for that entire starting lineup now with that backcourt, uh, backcourt while they've also lost Javon Carter. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've lost a lot of defensive talent out uh, in that backcourt there. But I think whatever he's able to provide from an offensive standpoint should help offset things already having Brooke Lopez and Giannis as like backline of defenders. But I'm just curious, are you, do you think there's going to be a, a long adjustment period as they try and figure out how to operate off of one another, namely Giannis and Dame? I, I don't know how long it's going to be, but there's definitely going to be one, right? Like we've been watching videos of the Cavs working out for a month and a half now. You know, Donovan Mitchell hosted the guys out uh, to do these kind of early workouts. Uh, I, I heard Lowe kind of talking about how LeBron kind of made that famous with the Heatles, and, and now other teams are doing it. And the Cavs, I mean, I think part of the reason why they've had such strong starts the last couple of years is because they've been doing these training camps before the training camps. And, um, I, I definitely feel like from Milwaukee standpoint, these are going to be guys that haven't played together before. It's going to be an adjustment. Um, you have a new coach in there. So that was already going to be an adjustment period. And like you mentioned, I, I think it's smart of you to bring up Javon Carter. Like nobody brings him up. 
but that is another good point of attack defender. Grayson Allen was a great point of attack defender. They're going to have to change their defensive scheme to account for the changes in personnel, which was probably going to happen already uh, from a coaching standpoint, but there's going to be an adjustment period for that. So uh, from my perspective and a Cavs perspective, I'm looking at this like they have a bit of an advantage when it comes to the regular season because they're going to have continuity and they're, they're going to have chemistry where the, the pieces they're integrating already make sense with what they were doing. That makes a ton of sense. And since you brought it up and specifically related to the Cavs. Now, I know you had mentioned already that this is probably a team that was already likely to finish ahead of Cleveland to begin with. Like, I was not expecting a a, a leapfrog in if they had remained with the same roster, kept Drew Holiday, all the good stuff, you know, I don't believe Cleveland would have leapfrogged Milwaukee, but I can't help but feel like we were a better position then. But uh, from specifically a guard standpoint, do you think we're going to be okay there? Like, do you think if you're just looking starting five for starting five right now, do you feel confident yep. in that? Because I think a lot of the questions right now for Milwaukee is not necessarily in their starting unit, but what the bench is going to look like and, and what that depth is looking like. Yeah. I'm going to be interested to see if they start Pat Connaughton at the two, or if it's going to be Malik Beasley. Uh, if it's Malik Beasley, I'm going to have some questions, man. <laughs> like if it's Dame Lillard and Malik Beasley there, I know Brooke Lopez, you know, he gets a lot of credit for what he can do defensively, but I do feel like the fact that Milwaukee had four point guys that were terrific when it comes to point of attack defense around him and, and guys coming in off the bench that could provide that. I really do feel like that really helped him be as impactful as he is. And I'm going to be interested to see if they're allowing those free lanes to the basket. Is Brook Lopez going to be able to keep up with that, especially as he continues to get older? Um, I, I think we saw even in that Knicks series uh, against the Cavs, and I, I hate bringing it up, but <laughs> I did a recent rewatch of it. And so many of the times where, you know, Mitchell Robinson got offensive rebounds were because a, a guy attacked from the perimeter, got passed on Mitchell or Darius, and Jared Allen had to make a decision. Am I going to allow a wide open layup or am I going to leave Mitch to contest this and force a floater? And hopefully that backline rebounding is there. Those type of questions are going to be there for the Milwaukee Bucks. And um, while I would certainly put the Bucks as number one, like if you put a gun to my head, they're my pick to make it out of the East because <laughs> there's going to be an adjustment period. I actually do think the Cavs are going to leapfrog them in the regular season. I think the Cavs have a legitimate shot given the roster turnover for both Milwaukee and Boston. I think the Cavs have a real opportunity to go get the one seed this season. First of all, let me just say, I don't know why you're torturing yourself by, <laughs> by doing a rewatch of that series. Because all it does for I'm me, all it does for me is just frustrate me all over again. But, you know, it is what it is. People people have talked all the live long day about the issues in that series. You know, the Jared Allen of it all. Although I feel like people have been way, way, way too hard on him and have just really... Right. That series really just changed public perception for the average fan uh, against against Jared Allen uh, mm-hmm. for saying something very human, in my opinion. Uh, but with that being said, man, the Cavs, they did their best with the assets at hand to try and patch up some of these holes. You bring in uh, a sharpshooting wing like Max Struess. You go out and you acquire um, an absolute scorcher who's shot five straight seasons from um, – at 40% from three-point distance and George Niang, who can play the power forward position, which is big time uh, after you lost out on love 
Uh, and then you, you know, you get some death pieces like Ty Jerome and Damian Jones, and then absolutely killed it. I feel like on some of these, uh, some of these undrafted talents. You look at mm-hmm. Craig Porter Jr., who I'm very, very interested to see in the preseason. I don't know about you. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Amani Bates, who people believe has star-like potential from an offensive perspective, and then you know you have other guys who can't be left out, like Isaiah Mobley. Just a, a ton of of roster versatility now, in my opinion. Can you just, from your perspective, because I know at times we we have a uh, we have a tendency to be homers <laughs> sometimes yeah. when we're talking about the Cavs. But from your perspective, do you think the additions that they made are enough to at least feel comfortable going up against some of the uh, some of the more physical teams? I, I do have concerns when it comes to physicality. I mean, one of the areas that it hasn't really been addressed is, you know, having another power forward that can slot in alongside Mobley and Allen and, and get rebounds, right? Like, um, that's not going to be what George Niang brings to the table. Um, <laughs> but when you have limited assets, when you really only had the mid-level exception, the fact that they were able to add Max Struess and still use that MLE uh, to get George Niang and get Ty Jerome and get Damian Jones and, like you mentioned, uh, taking what I think to be a, a really smart swing on Amani Bates and finding an undrafted talent like Craig Porter Jr., I, like I'm impressed with it. What I would say is I think the additions that the Cavs made this offseason are enough for us to properly evaluate the core. Like I, I think when we go into a playoff series, the supporting cast is not going to be the story. It's going to be, did Evan Mobley take enough of a step forward to kind of be that front court playmaker that alleviates the pressure from the guards. Um, does the, the offense hold up in the playoffs? Are they able to take what was a very good regular season offense, build upon it this regular season, and then translate that to the postseason? It's going to be questions like that, right? And, and how do Darius and Donovan play off of each other? It's going to be about the core. And I think that's where we need to be because um, like w- when you're heading into an off season next year where Donovan's going to be up for a contract extension, you want to have all the information possible on how well that core works if you're going to financially commit to it. So I, I do feel like the additions are enough to, to properly evaluate those guys that we have. That's kind of where I'm at too. And let me just ask you this. Do you feel, cause we shot absolutely terribly yeah. from the field. You know, it wasn't just the rebound. It was a simple fact that we were just not knocking down shots, especially some of our stars. Do you think that was more so of a fluke? Uh, just kind of not being ready for the moment. I, I don't want to use fluke. Um, I, I definitely think, you know, the pressure of the moment is a factor. Um, you, you look at some of kind of the point per possession stats and like a lot of the Cavs bread and butter worked uh, in, even in the playoffs, like their points off of cuts. The, the Cavs were, uh, which is usually, you know, a sign of healthy off ball movement. Um, the Cavs are, were the best team in the regular season when it came to points per possession off of cuts and uh, number two when it came to frequency. So they were right up there. Those held steady in the playoffs. The isolation scoring held pretty steady. We actually played less iso ball in the playoffs than we did in the regular season. But where it really fell apart was in the pick and roll in particular. And, uh, you know, Mitchell Robinson, like he sagged off Evan Mobley. (laughs) And he basically, what the Knicks did was they said, we know your first instinct is to make the right play, to make the right read, to make these passes out of the short roll. We're going to take away every single playmaking option that you have and force you to be a scorer. And that slight bit of hesitation for Mobley, I think, threw off of his timing. 
and then obviously, you know, we we did miss shots at, at times and stuff like that. But when you're bread and butter, which is really kind of using those split cuts, using those horn sets to generate movement off of the pick and roll, when you're taking away that bread and butter, it's going to throw off your rhythm. And basketball is such a rhythm sport, right? Like your offense feeds into your defense. It, it's such a cyclical uh, relationship <laughs> that it has. So I don't want to say it's a fluke. I think the Knicks had a good game plan. Um, but at the same time, you know, like Josh Hart misses that shot in game one and, and the Cavs, you know, go up 2-0 in that series. The Knicks were a team that often, you know, kind of would fall apart themselves, right? Like the Cavs, <laughs> yeah. the Cavs beat themselves in a lot of ways. And the Knicks are a very similar team in that way, right? Like Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle will talk against the team in the media and stuff like that, right? So it could have been a totally different series, but whether or not the Cavs advance, like if the Cavs would have, let's say, uh, Joel Embiid doesn't get called, uh, he gets correctly called for the charge, and the Cavs get the three seed, and they play the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. They would have smoked the Nets because the Nets were not a playoff <laughs> team after those trades. But that doesn't mean the flaws that were exposed in the Knicks series weren't still there. So because we have a team with such runway, that, that we have such a young core that's going to have more years together here, those flaws getting exposed and forcing the guys to evaluate what they need to do individually, the front office to take this off season very seriously and go out and make these strong additions. I think ultimately it can be a positive, but I mean, it added to my gray hairs. I mean, like, look, look at this. Like, it's, it, it stressed me out in the moment. I, I love this team, but it, it's definitely something that I think they can build upon. How much do you think adding the floor spacing of Struess and Niang will improve the offense as a whole, especially in that starting unit? I think it can a lot. Um, one of the things that, you know, diving into the season that I noticed is even though the Cavs are dead last in pace, I, I think people see that stat and they perceive that to mean they're never getting out and running in transition. The Cavs were actually middle of the pack when it came to transition frequency. Uh, they were 18th on the year, and with Okoro in the starting lineup, they were up to 16th. So the fact that they're middle of the pack and how often they run in the fast break and still dead last in pace, that to me says that the half-court offense is operating too slowly. Having guys like Max Struess and George Niang that don't need to be wide open to take a shot, that's going to lead to quicker offense in the half-court, more decisive plays, and I, I think even in that Knicks series, one of the big differences between watching the Cavs in that series and some of the other teams that advanced in the playoffs, the teams that advanced, they had guys that were willing to pull the trigger on kind of those late contested closeouts, right? Like, right. Whereas with the Cavs, if the closeout is coming, even a guy like Jetty, right? Like he's going to put the ball on the floor. He's going to pass it. They're going to rotate the possession and try to keep hunting for a great shot instead of taking good shots. And when you have someone like Max Struess, who was in the fourth percentile when it came to how open his shots were, that guy's ready to take contested shots all the time. George Niang's ready to take contested shots all the time. Either those guys are going to remain as contested as they've been in the rest of their career, or it's going to open up opportunities for other guys. So I think having decisive guys like that and having guys like Struess in the ears of, of Darius Garland and Isaac Okoro and, and everyone else on this roster, I think that's going to speed up how they process in the half court. And I'm excited to see what juice that gives to the offense. 
One more question in regards to that, though, because I I constantly see, you know, people talk about uh, three point percentages and whatnot, especially in terms of Isaac Okoro. We'll get to him in a little bit. But Max Struess in particular, who I believe can 35 percent of his three point attempts this past season after a season uh, prior in which he was over 40 percent, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Um, How much emphasis do you put on actual three point percentage versus like the gravity that a player brings? Yeah, I, I think you have to factor both of that in, right? Like, I, I think willingness to shoot often matters uh, more than percentages. Like, uh, when we were looking at offseason options, Max Struess was my number one choice, but Kelly Oubre <laughs> was my number two. And even though Kelly doesn't have great percentages, defenses know he is inclined to shoot, and therefore the way that they play him is going to be different. Um, in the case of Max Struess, like, Miami, and, and some of this, like, it's they, they had among the most player games missed, which is why it always annoys me that when people say, <laughs> you know, they didn't take the regular season seriously. No, their guys were out of the lineup all the right. time. They didn't have a lot of playmaking, right? Like they rely on Bam. Um, Kyle Lowry's at a later stage of his career. Gabe Vincent's more of a combo guard than like a true traditional point guard like you have with Darius. So Struce, you know, he, he's running all over these screens. He, he's coming. He's taking these quick contested shots. Um, and when you look at the, the shot making compared to the openness of the shots, that indicates a very high level of shot making. And uh, I think B-Ball Index does a great job of capturing that and really breaking down how much of this is off movement, how much of this is off of set shots. Um, so when you have a guy like that, that's w- such a willing shooter off of movement and doesn't need to have an A-plus quality look, I put a lot of stock in that, and, and that's the exact type of offense that the Cavs needed. I think that's a great way to look at it. Uh, and, you know, coming off a season in which you had guys who, you know, and shout out to Karis LeVert, who just experienced a career high in three-point percentage, uh, had, a, had a pretty up-and-down season, but he rounded out the year very, very well. Took a lot mm-hmm. of shit from a lot of people. So I'm glad that he was able to round things out, especially in the postseason Yep. And then you and then you look at uh, Isaac Okoro, who you know I'm a, a huge fan of, but I have to you know respectfully nobody paid attention to him uh, from outside of the arc, uh, outside of the arc, especially on a consistent basis. Uh, Jetty kind of is what he was, um, and then you just really didn't have a lot of options there um, mm-hmm. that are true to size or anything like that. And that still is kind of the case here, you know, with Struess kind of being undersized. But I think we're kind of banking that the spacing that he provides is able to offset anything in that regard but mm-hmm. just uh in general in terms of the rotation coming up for the 2023-24 season um do you feel like it's largely set right now or do you think there's so there's room for a little bit of movement towards the bottom um i would say based on history i would say that there's room for movement right like when the Cavs went into camp two years ago, they weren't expecting Larry Markkinen to be their starting three, right? And, and JB, <laughs> none of us were. <laughs> yeah, and and JB recognized the value that spacing could bring, and you know he's shown a willingness to get unconventional uh, in, in his lineups and find skill sets, uh, prioritizing skill sets more than archetypes when it comes to players. So for that reason, I, I imagine that what we're going to see in camp is going to kind of influence the decision making when it, it comes to the rotation. Um, but I do think keeping that in mind, when you factor, okay, what skill set is all of these guys bringing to the table? I think you can kind of make some logical conclusions of what we're going to see. Like, I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that Max Struess is going to get the starting small forward job. Uh, Karras is going to be that primary ball handler coming in off the bench. 
Um, George Niang's probably going to be the third big in a lot of ways. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, he's going to be the third big in a lot of ways in providing space. And I, I think when you're looking for an eighth guy, the one skill set that's not present in that rotation is a lead point of attack defense. And for that reason, I think it's going to be Isaac Okoro. If you're asking who the ninth man's going to be, mm-hmm. my assumption would be that's based on matchup. I, I think if it's a matchup where you need better rebounding, uh, you, you need a little bit more size, you're going to go to Dean Wayne in those spots. Um, if you look at the lineup data when uh, Mobley, Allen, and Wade are out there, uh, they rebound incredibly well. Um, and, and obviously, you know, he wasn't healthy in the uh, last stretch of last season and in the playoffs. Would have been nice to have him. But I, I think you go to him in those spots. And if you need additional ball handling as well as some point of attack defense, you can go to Ty Jerome in those spots. So I, I think a lot of this, hopefully, it's going to be based on merit. Um, but I, I think you can make some kind of logical guesses based on the skill sets that each of these guys are bringing to the table. Justin, talk to me about Ricky Rubio, man. What what is uh, what's going on with Rubio in terms of the team? Um, I know there hasn't been a lot of news in regards to it, but I, I guess yeah. the question I'm trying to get at here is regardless of whether or not he returns, do you think that he is going to be included in the rotation period? Or do you think that ship has kind of sailed? I, I think my preference, honestly, would be to have Darius and Donovan kind of take over the primary ball handling duties. And, like, I, I, it's funny to go from a team that, you know, didn't have anything on the wing <laughs> to having quite a few wing options. And I think the best way to get minutes for Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro, George Niang, and even Dean Wade in, in certain spots is by having Darius and Donovan play prime the primary guard minutes. So for that reason, like I don't really slot in either Ty Jerome or Ricky Rubio into the rotation. In my mind, JB may have a different mindset. And, and if Ricky does, you know, uh, obviously our, our well wishes are with Ricky and I, I hope he takes the time that he needs to, to sort out everything that he's got going on. Uh, but if he does report to camp and if he is looking better physically and he's pushing for minutes, um, that can be something that they evaluate. But just from an outside looking in, like I I would love it if the <laughs> only guys under six five that the Cavs play in the rotation are Darius and Donovan. Like I, I they they can do that, right? Like even though Max Struess is a little bit undersized, he is a strong, sturdy player. And he spent a lot of minutes defending twenty seven percent of his minutes were defending power forwards last year. He spent in the series against the Bucks, he spent 12% of his defensive minutes guarding Brooke Lopez. Like, this is a sturdy guy that is disruptive prior to the shot, right? Um, so I, I think going into size and, and leaning into that, the size that you do have, um, that, that would probably be the way that I would go. Okay, that's fair enough. I was just trying to see if you could uh, give us a little... Uh, I don't know got bit. sources. <laughs> I, I, I leave the reporting game to the experts. Uh, I, I, I've got no idea. I, we'll, we'll find out more in media day, I'm sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's move on down the line here in terms of these young guys. Your your uh, Amani Bates and your Craig Porter Jr.'s, Isaiah Mobley's of the world. Um, of those three players, at least at this point in time, which one do you consider to be most NBA ready? Ooh, I probably Isaiah just because, you know, he had that full league in, in, or full season in, in the G League. Um, the, the physical development, you know, the, the, the quickness of his jump shot there and also just the need, right? Like I said before, one of the additions that wasn't made uh, in terms of the main roster was 
that power forward that can help on the glass, that, that can give you a little bit of size and toughness there. And who knows? Maybe Isaiah can blossom into that guy. Uh, I love what I see out of Craig Porter Jr. I really like him as a prospect. <laughs> I, I, I see him as kind of like a Derek White archetype there. Um, but the Cavs have a glut of guard minutes. Like, I, I just don't see many opportunities for him there. Now, Monty Bates, man, like, I'm impressed by him. Like, I, I Carter and I, we, we own up to the fact that we don't watch college basketball. We bring on experts all, all mm-hmm. the time to, to kind of fill us in. That's one of our blind spots. Um, but seeing the growth that he had throughout summer league impressed me so much because that's such a short period of time that you're working with these guys and and working with uh, Mike Garrity. I was just really, really impressed with how his game blossomed. And it would not surprise me, you know, having an offseason where it looks like he's at the Cavs facilities the whole time working out. Um, like if he took a major step forward uh, and earned minutes, I would love for that to be a pleasant surprise this season. Like I I'm rooting for him. I, I I'm a big, big believer in his talent. Um, I would expect that he starts the season in the G league. Cause I think the best thing for him is minutes. And that might not be there when it comes to the primary rotation, but look back at what we saw with Diakite. Like he played quite a few. He games started, he started a few. He got minutes, man. Like if we have injuries or let's say at, at the deadline, there's a, another kind of minor consolidation trade for the Cavs where mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's roster spots that open up. I wouldn't be surprised if by February, you know, uh, he's earning opportunities or he's look, uh, earning looks even still on that two way contract, you know, getting called up for a couple games and whatnot. Like uh, I'm rooting for him because you, you look at the skill set. And you look at his size, like that is exactly what the Cavs need in this rotation. So uh, I'm I'm hoping he not proves me wrong because honestly, like I'm rooting for all of these guys to do well. Yeah. Like even someone like Sharif Cooper, like if he balls out in preseason and earns himself a contract with another team, I'd be thrilled because I'm rooting for every single guy that like comes in this organization to do well and succeed individually. So I, I'm rooting for Armani. I'm I'm excited for what he can bring to the table. Ah, man, I love it. I love it. It's like I I constantly see public opinion of Imani kind of be on multiple fronts. Everybody seems to be on a different side of the spectrum. Some people think it's disrespectful to consider sending the kid down to the to the charge, uh, which honestly, you know, I believe that's the best place possible for him to be able to develop some of the uh, some of the flaws in his game. And then you have some people who believe that he should be immediately included in the rotation as a contributor. Um, What percentage chance do you give Amani to make the opening day rotation? Opening day, I I I, I think it's low. Um, like I I don't want to put a percentage on it for the season either because like that would require a lot of information that we don't have, right? right like right. I I want to see how he looks in preseason and all that. I, I, we we don't know what the ebbs and flows of the season are going to be. Um, but the kid's a talent, man. Like he he's absolutely a talent, and uh, the way that <clears throat> he bought in. To, to what they were doing through through Vegas really, really impressed me. And um, yeah, but when it comes to the opening day rotation, like this is one of the areas that the NBA lags behind like MLB or, or even the NHL where, you know, the, the minor league system, it's not seen a, as, you know, a, a sign of disrespect. It's <laughs> the best thing for your development is playing time is minutes. And you look at the charge, you know, being in Cleveland now where you're able to practice with the main club, you're able to have that contact with all all the coaches. Like, I I think 
part of the reason why they've been able to develop these undrafted players is because of kind of these connections and these bonds and using the G League properly. So uh, I think it's the best thing for him. And I, I think it's... It's not that he couldn't possibly contribute as, you know, a spot up shooter in the NBA, but his best chance at hitting the ground running when he does get those NBA minutes is going to be if he has a familiarity with Cleveland system, you know, uh, a little bit more comfortable what he's going to do. He's going to be playing against grown men in the G League, right? Like all of that is going to help whenever he comes into the NBA that he's going to have the best chance to succeed early on by that experience. Oh man, yeah, I absolutely love it. It's just for me, I have to temper my expectations for him because for me, um, you know, watching him at both Memphis and Eastern Michigan, you could clearly see that the kid can shoot. Like he, he yep. can shoot. The percentages that they were what they were, but you can see that he has the skill set of a knockdown spot up shooter from three point distance. Mm-hmm. You saw him knock down forty percent of his three point attempts in summer league, and granted, you do have to take that with a grain of salt, right? But to me, if there's any skill that kind of translates over across multiple uh, avenues of basketball, it's shooting. Um, I feel yeah. like that's that's a skill, and I, I understand that might be a little debatable, but I do feel like that's a skill that can carry uh, at the very least. Um, exactly. there, there, there are defensive concerns, at least on my side. Uh, you know, I feel like I really need to see how bought in Amani Bates is from a defensive standpoint. All signs pointed to uh, he is at Summer League, He's, but there are other indicators of him kind of lagging behind. Yeah. Um, also, I need to see him put on a little bit of weight. <laughs> yeah, but the, the thing is, like, it, it goes to show you just the depth of the NBA in general and the depth that the Cavs have. Like, if this was a couple of years ago, he'd be playing for the Cavs. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, he, he would be getting opportunities right from the jump. Um, like, in my mind, I think, okay, can he play a Jetty role? Right, where where he's coming in off the bench, he's knocking down shots. Uh, you talked about the percentages in college. I think a lot of that was like being forced to do self creation, mm-hmm. and um, like obviously he can do that, and he's got that nice high release point. His footwork is awesome, um, but you know, like he's not going to have to do as much of that with the Cavs, right? Like because he's such a willing shooter. If they're kicking it to him and he's got a clean look, he's going to take Just that take, shot. Yeah. And he's someone that, you know, if it's stagnant and the ball gets them late in the shot clock, he's going to be able to generate opportunity. So that's all positive. But like when I think about him filling in the jetty role, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He could probably do that. But at the same time, who's actually filling in the jetty role? It's Max Struess. Like Max Struess is getting those minutes. George Niang <laughs> is getting those minutes. Isaac Okoro is bringing a different skill set that Amani's going to bring. So for that reason, that's that's why I really think, you know, Heavy minutes in the G League early on is the best thing for him. And, uh, you know, if he earns the opportunity, this is an organization that rewards guys that work hard and and earn those opportunities. So I I would fully expect him to get that. Speaking of hard work, you just brought the name Isaac Okoro up. I... uh... I got a soft spot in my heart for Isaac, man. It's it's been a tough road for him, uh, you know, coming into the league during the pandemic and whatnot, uh, and then shouldering a lot of expectations, being the fifth overall pick and whatnot. When you, when you're evaluating Isaac's uh, Isaac's progress heading into the 2023-24 season, what are you looking for in particular that that will tell you that hey, this guy is possibly taking another step? Yeah, I, I know everyone's going to say, you know, upping the three-point rate, and I'd I'd love to see that, right? Like, 
Um, I think he took like 46% of his shots from behind the arc last year or something like that. So uh, I, I would like to see, you know, even if the minutes are staying about the same, I, I'd like to see, you know, that per 36 uh, three-point attempt rate rise, um, just continuing to show more willingness there. But what I really like to see is for him to continue to have more of an impact in the box score in other ways too, right? Like uh, last year, he started to become an event defender, right? Like his steal and block rates went r- way up, like big time jump in those percentages. And I, I'd like to see that continue. I'd like to see him crash the glass because it's something that we, we've seen him do sporadically at times and do at a high level and generate second chance opportunities or, or end possessions on the defensive end by, by getting the glass. That kind of growth and finding value in other areas, I think, would be really, really helpful for him because that's another way that you can go out there and earn minutes on a team that does have a lot of play finishers already with, with Darius, Mobley, uh, Donovan, and Struis. Like all these guys are out there to end plays when they get those touches. So uh, finding those values in the margins is going to be great. And if he's coming in off the bench, like I'd like to almost see him play more shooting guard minutes. Like yeah. I, I'd like to see him playing at the two with Struis, with Niang, with, with Lever, like some combination of those guys. Um, because I, I really feel like he can be used kind of in those Bruce Brown ways at where, where he can screen for, for Donovan or screen for Darius, uh, get to the basket with momentum, get the, those slashing attempts. He's such a strong finisher at the basket that, that I think that that's really advantageous. And that's something that we saw even at the end of last year. Like people forget those back-to-back games we had in Miami. Those were the biggest games of the season at the time. Miami was breathing down the Cavs next when it came to seeding. <laughs> that's a place the Cavs never won. And with the game on the line, back-to-back possessions, JB goes to Isaac Okoro screening for Darius because Tyler Hero was on him. Uh, and Isaac got to the line uh, on one possession, knocked down the two free throws that, that were clinching uh, and generated a great look in the other uh, opportunity. Like the Cavs were building upon that. And that's just not something you can do often when you're in a starting lineup with Mobley and Allen, because you're the third best shooter on the court. Like he's, he's a, he's got a decent percentage, but he's the third best shooter in those lineups. That's not going to be the case when he's only coming in with one of those bigs on the court. It's going to have much more space to operate. And I I feel like that can unlock his game because it's funny, man. Like people have no patience when it comes to Isaac Okoro's offense. He's 22. He's the same age as Evan Mobley, right? Like Evan Mobley, we don't look at and say, hey, well, he's 22. Like if he hasn't figured it out now, he's never going to figure it out. Isaac, someone who steadily, his field goal percentage has increased. His three-point percentage has increased. His last 100 games, he's shooting 38% from three. He's already an elite point of attack defender. It is a lot easier to take someone that's already shooting a good percentage uh, on low volume that's already uh, uh, an elite point of attack defender. It's easier to take a player like that and increase the volume than it is to take a raw wing, make them an elite defender, fix their shot, fit, get the volume up, right? Like we're so many steps beyond that that I, I think people just ha- need to exercise a little more patience when it comes to Okoro. What is the over-under for uh, game winners for Isaac Okoro in the 2023-24 season? Uh, I'm, I'm going, I'm going, whatever it is, I'm probably going to take the under just because I, I don't know how many times he's going to be in the closing lineups. But uh, if we get another one, that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it was, man. That Brooklyn game was something else. Yeah. How, uh, how about we don't have a lot of games that come down the wire? How about that? Like, There you go. We, we led the league in blowouts last season. Let's <laughs> Let's do it again. Let's run it back. Right, right. We need to see a uh, reverse cavalanche or something. I don't know. Just, just go up. Just go up and not have any uh, 
not have to have the team fight back. Uh, that said, man, uh, we've heard of so much talk this offseason, even though I feel like this is way too damn early to be talking about it. Donovan Mitchell, we, we just cannot get away from it. It's it's mm-hmm. all people talk about in terms of social media for, for Cleveland these days. Can you can you explain to people why we just we just need to just remain calm in regards to the Donovan Mitchell front right now? I mean, I'm always so hesitant to like tell people how to be a fan, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody processes it in their own way and whatnot. Um, like honest to God, I'm I'm not worried about it. Like it's not something that I think about because to me, you know, the modern NBA is all about the relationships between teams. It's a partnership between teams and players. And Donovan, to me, like you, you look at even Jason Lloyd's article that that started all this speculation, right? <laughs> right after they got eliminated from the Knicks. What do you say Donovan's number one priority is? Winning. Um, so the Cavs, it's on the Cavs to to show Donovan that they are in the best position for him. They are the best position for him to, to go out and contend for a championship and eventually win a championship. And when you look at Donovan's skill set, he's a good playmaker, but I don't think he's a good enough playmaker to be a point guard and run an offense on his own. So if he's going to be playing as the two, he's going to need a point guard that can play on and off ball that complements him really well, a, a high-level playmaker. Darius is that kind of guy. If you're going to have those two as a backcourt, or if you're going to have Donovan as a shooting guard, you're going to have an undersized backcourt no matter what. So that means you need to have backline defense. Right. You have to have that with, with uh, Mobley and Allen, right? So and we already have all this data that this four-man unit works incredibly well together, even in the Knicks series. They were winning their minutes together up until game five, right? Like, and they weren't even playing well. Like Darius and Donovan <laughs> were not playing well. Mobley was not playing well at all offensively, and they were still winning their minutes. So the fact that we have those data points, we know this core works, to me, that gives me a level of confidence. And if the Cavs do their part and show, you know, that this is your best opportunity to win, I feel confident that next offseason there's going to be a, an extension there. And if there's not, or, or you know, the fit doesn't work and Cavs don't want to go with an undersized backcourt or Donovan <laughs> wants to go to another direction, like there's going to be opportunities to continue to build around, you know, the core of Garland and Mobley. But man, like I just, I don't see it. Like I, I, I expect an extension. Stars don't hit free agency when it comes to the NBA. And you also just got to look at like the tea leaves, man. Like, for some reason, like Zach Lowe and Ian Begley talking uh, about Nick's targets and saying that they've moved <laughs> on from Donovan Mitchell, like that doesn't get aggregated. But anytime he's at a Mets game, uh, that, that gets Your aggregated, Lord. right? Yeah. Like you know, just today, I saw uh, Nick's uh, expected to be one of the top teams pursuing Drew Holiday. Uh, they've been in the mix um, for, for like they, they were temporarily in the mix for James Harden. They are in the mix for Zach Levine. Like they're targeting shooting guards. Are they moving like a team that expects Donovan Mitchell to be on their roster? I don't get that impression. If they trade for Drew, that's sure not going to be a possibility. Is he going to go to Miami with 35 year old Jimmy Butler? Is that how he's going to commit <laughs> the next six years of his career? Or I guess when Mitchell hits free agency, he's going to be uh Butler's going to be 36 years old. Like I, I just, if his main priority is winning, I don't see a lot of situations better than the Cleveland Cavaliers. So it, to me, it's not something that I worry about. And I have confidence that this front office is going to make, continue to be aggressive. You know, Dan Gilbert's going to spend uh, th- that they're going to be aggressive in, in getting talent around them. I, I feel good about it, man. Like I, I'm a believer in this core. 
I think that's exactly where I am at right now. Like, I just need to see this season play out before I have any types of reservations in regards to that. I want to see the 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 product that we, you know, some of these players that we've acquired this offseason. I want to see what that additional spacing does. Yeah. I want to see how JB comes back and approaches things. 100%. Like, you, you look at Fedor's article about how JB went up uh, to Donovan's house and, and the two of them, uh, they did film studies and workouts together, and JB said, like the the list of things that he wanted Donovan to work on, uh, he, he he met all of those boxes, and he's excelling, and he's looking great. Like one thing I gotta say, <laughs> like the the analogy is basically like when you're in a relationship and someone like whispers in your ear and tells you, you know, like I, I think she might leave <laughs> you someday, so you start emotionally distancing yourself from it. That's not a healthy way to operate. I'm I'm sick of people like emotionally disting themselves from Donovan Mitchell um, already or like, you know, coming They're up with protecting big trades. themselves <laughs> from getting hurt. It's LeBron PTSD. It's LeBron PTSD because when you look at what Donovan has done, that man has been 100% bought in since the day he got into Cleveland. And that's all I ask. Like if at the end of the year, the Cavs aren't as good as we expected. Mobley doesn't take the step forward that we hope. Garland doesn't take the step forward that we hope. And it's not the best situation for winning. Like that would break my heart, and but I would understand if he's exploring other options. But as long as he's bought in and playing his hardest while he's a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers, that's all I ask for from these guys, right? Like I understand, like at the end of the day, it's a business, but the man has been completely bought in. So I hate that people project things onto him and, and discredit what he's done for for this team and. and the work that he's put in because they're worried about the possibility of him leaving. Like it's not like an Embiid or even a Giannis situation where they've openly talked about leaving. Nothing has come from him. It's only been from the media. And I I think he's unfairly been uh, blasted as a result of that. Yeah. I mean, it's only right to look at it that way. Donovan, he may not have come out and say, Hey, you know, I'm fully committed to being a Cleveland Cavalier for the foreseeable future. He may not have said anything like that, but, you know, again, it's not like he's taken the Embiid route or he's, you know, he's let his organization know, hey, if you're not serious about winning, I'm out like Giannis was prior to the Dame acquisition. Like, even Uh, if he said that, man, like, even if he said I'm 100 percent, like if he comes out on media day and he says my intention is to sign an extension next year with the Cavs, mm -hmm. so much can change in 12 months. Like that is the modern NBA, right? Like, that's why I say it's a partnership between the teams and the players, right? Like we, we take for granted, even like the buy-in for Darius and, and Mobley, right? Because we have contract control for them for so long, but even with those guys, you need to, as an organization, you have to always be maintaining those relationships. You have to be making sure that the players are fully bought into the vision. And if they're not, you need to collaborate with them on how you can get back on the same page. That's what the expectation needs to be. So as fans, we can't take anything for granted or teams aren't taking anything for granted anymore, right? Like, so that's, that needs to be the expectation. So for me, I like to live in the moment. And if in the moment Donovan Mitchell is bought in and all these guys are bought in, that to me is a really good sign. And I've seen zero indication that it is anything but that situation. Yes, sir. That's enough for me in regards to that. Like I'm, I'm very much a live in the present type of guy. I'm, I'm heavily enjoying the Donovan Mitchell era. It's only been one year. Like we get another <laughs> full season of this dynamic uh, duo in the backcourt along with the frontcourt. 
Uh, but speaking of some of these guys, man, you you and Carter are going to be at uh, Cavs Media Day here next week, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir. Um, what are you most looking forward to? Is there is there anybody in particular who you are like most most wanting to ask any type of question? Well, I will say first of all, what I'm most looking forward to is it being over because I'm anxious <laughs> as hell. Uh, this is a type of pressure I haven't exactly faced before. Uh, but we will be going live throughout media day. So we'll be doing kind of a, a, a pre, uh, I guess, pregame. I, I have no idea what the, but pre podium kind of conversation about whatever our expectations are for media day. And then obviously going back and forth, throwing through the podium. Uh, I believe we'll have a couple player interviews as well after those podium sessions are over. So going through a three hour live show, man, like I'm worried about everything. I'm worried about Do you the get to ask them questions like uh, the typical no, not at the podium. Not, okay. Yeah, not not at, not at the podium, but I, I believe we will have a couple uh, one on ones at, at our desk uh, after those podium sessions are over. So we'll, we'll see who, who who's made available at those times. But um, like really what I'm most interested to find out in, in those sessions is going to be where they're setting expectations, because people forget, man, like the Cavs raised expectations last year because of how well they played but going mm-hmm. into media day like the conversation was can this team avoid the play right like like that's where this was you you look at where they were ranked even after the donna mitchell trade like people had atlanta they had toronto they had all these teams ahead of them the Cavs earned higher expectations throughout the season the expectations were never like set at oh it's championship or bust or anything like that so i'm excited to see where that's set and obviously, we'll hear from Kobe and JB first. They're going to be kind of setting their own expectations. We're going to hear from the players individually. I, I'm I'm excited to see how much pressure the organization is putting on themselves this season. Because I think with the moves they've made and with the success that they already had last year, I expect the expectations to be pretty damn high. So that's that's what I'm most interested about. And then on an individual level, just learning how they learn from the postseason, how it changed their offseason approach, what what adaptations they've done to their routines or or what adjustments they've made to be better prepared for that. I'm really, really excited to hear what those lessons were from last season. Well, I'm definitely going to be tuning into that. I'll let you know. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but, but what you. I... Uh... What are your what are your personal expectations though? Because I, I know you mentioned that you're you're very curious to see how they are going to be, uh, what their level of expectation is going to be for themselves. But what is your personal expectation for this team for the 2023-24 season? What's the so bar think, in your opinion they need to clear? I, I think they absolutely have to win around. Uh, like I, I think bare minimum, we want to see that kind of progress uh, from the Cavs. I want to turn this around. I'm, I'm going to ask you a little question. <laughs> okay, this go is ahead. A little thought, this is a little thought experiment I have. Sure. And, and, you know, this season is the first one where an in-season tournament is being introduced, okay? You get to pick two scenarios. I want to hear how you want this season to be finished. Scenario one, you win the in-season tournament. Big thrill, fun start of the season. Second round, you lose game seven nail biter like let's say it even goes to overtime you lose to the boston celtics or, or milwaukee bucks you i like the way game, this is sounding already <laughs> you lose game seven in the second round in heartbreaking fashion or scenario two where you lose the in-season tournament let's say you don't even make the vegas rounds you, you you don't you don't matter in that tournament in any real way but you make the eastern conference finals but the Eastern Conference Finals go similar to the Knicks series, where it's five oh, games, but you know you look outclassed in it, right? Like you're not ready for the moment. You you really get outclassed in the Eastern Conference Finals. 
What would you prefer out of those two scenarios? Damn, dude. Why do you have to do that? <laughs> I was not expecting the five games. Uh, honestly, and I know it's going to sound crazy. Give me the end season tournament, um, you know, because I feel like that's a confidence booster right there. And then mm-hmm. the hard fought seven game victory where, you know, you feel like you're being competitive instead of being just completely squashed in the Eastern Conference finals and essentially making you feel like you're just not ready uh, to be at that level. That's where I'm at. I take scenario one in a heartbeat. I know that so sounds crazy. I'm of the same opinion. I I, I think it's really important that the Cavs don't appear outclassed in a playoff series. Like I, I think the expectation should be a winning around. And you know, like if you lose a hard fought seven game series in the second round, like I, I think back to like LeBron versus Paul Pierce game seven uh, in, in 2000. Uh, was that two? Yeah. 2008 where, where Boston yeah. won the championship, like that kind of series. You're like, man, we were right there and Boston went out and they won the championship. And we gave the NBA championship, uh, the NBA champions, their hardest fought series, that type of thing. You can build momentum on you. Then, then you can sit there and say, man, Mobley's going to be 23 years old next year. Darius Garland's going to be 24 years old. Like, uh, like we we've got upward momentum here. Like that's the type of situation where you can have confidence. In, and I'd be stunned if Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to extend in yeah. that type of scenario. But if you get I think you out- could absolutely sell him on that too. I think you could definitely sell him on that, uh, on the forward progress. 100%. Like, I, I think the, the issue with Utah was there just wasn't upward mobility available, right? Like, there, there was no young up-and-coming player with him and Rudy Gobert. Like, obviously, Donovan Mitchell took another kind of step, uh, a leap forward coming to the Cavs. But, like, that wasn't going to be enough, even if he did that in Utah, to get them over the hump. With Cleveland, it's a little bit of a different story, right? Where where you had this upward trajectory of Evan Mobley. Jared Allen's getting into his, his prime. Darius is still a couple of years away. You still have assets to, to play with and tradable contracts, right? So I, I think it's really important that the Cavs don't get outclassed in a playoff series. Like, I, I think um, like I, I think their best chance to advance in the playoffs is to have a great regular season. Like, if there's an adjustment period for Boston-Milwaukee and they can go out and get the one seed, you might have a pretty decent chance of making the Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, like, at, at that point, I'm still giving Milwaukee the nod because – We've been on the other side too many times where, you know, it's two really great teams, but the best player really matters. Giannis is going to be the best player in that series. Like, let's be real. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm okay with that. But ultimately, you know, like, I, I, th- I think it's really important that there doesn't seem to be this massive gap uh, l- like there was in the postseason series. And uh, they, they beat themselves in that next series. And, and I, I would definitely pick winning an in-season tournament and a hard-fought second round over getting outclassed completely in the Eastern Conference Finals. If the Cavs go out and get outclassed uh, in the 2023-24 postseason, I'm just going to be depressed. <laughs> I, can, I can tell yeah. you that now. It's, I mean, it, if it happens in the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm going to eventually talk myself into like, oh, man, like we, we did the ECF. Yeah. Like, that's, that's awesome. Um, but, you know, like, it's going to really hurt in the moment, and there's going to be a reflection. I would still expect Donovan to to extend at that point oh, yeah, because yeah. we just made the Eastern Conference Finals with a very young team. Um, but, you know, I, I think just when you're trying to look at these steps moving forward in the road to be, establish yourself as a legitimate contender, I think that would be a major step in in the right direction. Let's look at it from another standpoint in terms of the team and JB Bickerstaff. Um, what is enough, in your opinion, for him to feel solid and in place for the foreseeable future? What is his expectation, do you think, or at least 
from a personal standpoint, what does JB have to do in order for you to feel like he is the guy to take them over the top? Obviously team success is going to be a big part of that. Um, what I've liked from JB is every time the Cavs have added talent, the offense has evolved to utilize that talent, right? Like um, when we had Lowry marketing, they got really creative that he just ran off of screens more frequently than anyone else. They unlocked his game uh, as a small forward. Like, People forget, man, like post all-star break, Lowry was averaging like 17, 18 points per game. Like that breakout was already starting with the Cavs. And then that off season, like I remember we had Chris Fedor on the podcast (laughs) and it was controversial at the time, but Chris came on. He said, Lowry is the closest thing to a fourth member of the core that this team has. They feel confident in, in the player development that he's going to take a leap. They would only move him for another member that would be solidified in the core, which of course is what happened. But like Lowry made those adaptations in season without ever preparing. He didn't have an off season to prepare for playing small forward like he did before Utah, but he got better throughout the year. That type of growth, that type of player development has always given me confidence with the Cavs. And you look at last year, like they didn't have a lot of spacing, but when you look at overall shot quality, like three point shot quality, mid range shot quality, shot quality at the rim, playmaking, all that kind of stuff. They're up there. When, when you look at those individual rankings, they're top three in every single one of those without like great spacing around them. That to me shows offensive creativity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to evolve and take another step, right? Like we do have new pieces. Uh, when you have, you know, Max Truis, George Yang, all these different kind of movement shooters, like right. I want to see the offense evolve to fit the personnel and to continue to evolve as guys get more confident. Like, uh, we, we saw that last year with Evan Mobley, like Evan Mobley first half of the year passes made uh, playmaking opportunities were similar to his rookie season. But then as the year went on, Mobley was second in the team in, in front court passes per game. Like he rose from like 41 to 47, I believe like he was a secondary playmaker because he was getting better and JB gave him more opportunities to do that. So I expect that this season, but it's continued offensive evolution, adapting to the personnel, then obviously the team success. Those to me are the indicators of whether or not, you know, from a coaching perspective, this is heading in the right direction. I don't think I could have said it any better, man. Like I, I have been a consistent believer in JB, but there are times which is like, man, what are you doing? Uh, especially with some of the uh, out of out of timeout calls and whatnot. Uh, but yeah. with, and, and that's one of those funny things, right, man? Like I, I look at it and like, one of the things I'd love to see, like, uh, just like a small wrinkle and let's get nitty gritty basketball here for a second. Like, I would love to see Evan Mobley, um, utilizing those ATOs as kind of the primary, hub, like the guy that you throw the ball into. It's something Miami does a lot with bam. Um, so if you have like Max Struess inbounding the ball, Mobley, um, off the ATO, like you can run a lot of those split action sets that, that, uh, they do so well, uh, with Mobley operating as a hub, because typically, uh, when you do those type of sets, uh, whoever's guarding Mobley normally is going to be put on the inbounder. So when you kind of inbound a Mobley and you separate that space, it forces the defense to either quickly switch, which opens up passing opportunities, opens up three point shots. It opens up cutting opportunities. And like two years ago, the Cavs were one of the best ATO teams in the league. Uh, and last year, you know, it, it got worse for whatever reason. Um, I don't think that's necessarily scheme. I think sometimes there's noise and volume and, you know, familiarity. Uh, like it wouldn't make sense that the, all of a sudden 
the, the same schemes aren't working as well when you have Donovan Mitchell in, right? Uh, so I'm interested to see that kind of variance, but that's like that's another area where I, I'd like to see that continued evolution and, and trusting Mobley in those spots. Yeah, I I I am true. I'm going to remain true in my uh, in my belief that we will see a continued progression for JB this season. I I cannot help but root for him. I mean, the players seem to love him. Uh, he, he's able to get everybody to buy in from a defensive standpoint, which is very tough to do. Uh, he's got yeah, some of the Especially with a young team, man. Like, with seventh best offense, best defense, like, with nobody. <laughs> like, Donovan's the only guy over 25 in the starting lineup. Like, that's nuts, man. And yeah. to have that good of an offense w- without uh, a lot of spacing, to have one of the best half-court offenses in the league, like, not based off of, like, you know, running and gunning and getting easy opportunities in transition, like, that was great scheme in, in, in the half court. And, um, you know, Mobley was obviously a, a big focal point of that. And I think Mobley's offensive shortcomings in, in that playoff series were one of the key breakdowns. Like, I think that was the biggest point of failure when it comes to their playoff offense. But, like, knowing what we know about Evan Mobley, he doesn't take that stuff lightly. Like, that guy is an animal in the gym. He's an animal in the film room. I expect him to, to respond well uh, to, to that kind of uh, shortcoming in the playoffs. Yes, sir. One last question for you, my friend. Uh, we know that uh, Cleveland brought back fan favorite Tristan Thompson, you know, NBA champion. How much do you feel like he is actually going to uh, play a factor on the court this season? On the court, probably not. Like, I, I don't see it. I, I think Damian Jones is going to be like Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. That's going to be plan A and, and B when it comes to the center rotation. We saw that last year, I think. If you're going to go with another traditional five, I think you're going to go with Damian Jones. Um, and like, it's funny. I, I, before the Tristan signing, like the podcast we did <laughs> right before, we're talking about defensive rebound percentage. And like Tristan's, like even in 2016, was lower than Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, right? Like it was just such a good team rebounding team uh, with Kevin Love at the four and LeBron at the three, right? Like those guys are getting so many damn rebounds game so it's not like he's someone that you just throw in because oh we're getting beat on the glass or whatever like i I think that would be damien's role but i I think tristan being there like in in practice being able to to work with mobile to work with alan and and, um you know screen setting and all that kind of stuff holding guys accountable forcing guys to be someone like jared allen to be a little more vocal on defense i think that's all important but i do feel better about his ability like if you do need a body at sometimes to go in step in and give you some good minutes. Like, I think he can still do that. He did that for the Lakers in the playoffs, gave him good minutes against Denver as well as the Warriors. Uh, so I, I feel better about that than I did Robin Lopez. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's three years younger than Robin Lopez, man. Like, I, I, I feel I feel better about his ability to contribute there, but he's such a good locker room guy. And, um, like, you, you heard the stories, like, in Darius's second year when, when Tristan was on Boston, like, Tristan's still texting Darius day after day, telling him to be more aggressive with the shot that, you know, it's going to open up opportunities for other guys. Um, like, he was still bought in, uh, even on another team. So I, I only expect that <laughs> That's to continue. commitment right there. Yeah. Now, now, he's, now he's on the roster. Like, that makes it a little easier <laughs> when you could just turn over to him and say, hey, Darius, what, what, that guy went under on you. How dare he? Take that shot. Take the damn three-pointer. <laughs> Are you expecting Darius to do that this season? You think we're going to see a more aggressive Darius in terms of not not only just scoring, but uh, putting guys in in in, in better positions in terms from a playmaking standpoint? Man, I, I hope so. Like I, I hope we see that three point rate go up because to me that is the most obvious low hanging fruit when it comes to this offense, right? Like 
if he just like he's at 22 points per game last season, um, you know, basically identical to his career high in points per game. He took two more threes a game at, at like his 40% clip. Like he's going to make one of those. Like he's going to be up to like a 25 point per game guy if it's similar minutes and whatnot. So um, yeah, like I, I, I really expect and I hope uh, that, that we see more aggressive Darius because he's one of the only guys in the league that is elite both as a three point shooter and as a playmaker. And he's just such an unselfish player. He's, you know, such a dynamic player that I think he's always trying to find that balance between his own assertiveness and getting other guys involved. And if we have the opportunity to talk to him at a media day. That's definitely one of the things that I'd love to ask him about. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see what that evolution is. Cause I, I think he's a truly special talent. And I, I think he's a guy that, can go from all-star snub to all NBA consideration. Like I, I, I truly think that he is that special as a player. Yes, sir, man. I feel like I learned something every time you come on here. I'm, I'm I not going to lie ball with you, man. It's always uh, fun. I oh, appreciate it, buddy. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming on, man. I, I really, truly appreciate it. Uh, what time are you and you and Carter going on? I, I think it, uh, media day starts like just shortly after noon, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I think we'll obviously be getting there a little bit earlier. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll tweet out when we have more details. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm like I said, I'm I'm nervous as hell. Like I, it's surreal to me that we continue to get these opportunities, and uh, for me, it just makes me want to prep harder and, and work harder to <laughs> to show that it's not a mistake because <laughs> uh, it, it, it's wild to me. It, it's like, it's not like we're out here like trying to be journalists or, or anything like that. Right. Like it's truly just giving our, our, our read uh, on the situations and being allowed to be fans. And to me that, that continues to be one of the most surreal opportunities. So um, I, I, I love it. I, I love, you know, coming on podcasts like this, man. Like I, I love the, the work that you guys do. Um, so it, I, I, I'm really, really appreciative that I, I get to be part of this cast community. For sure. Yeah, no, man, nothing happens by mistake. They chose you guys for a reason, obviously. Um, that, I would be, <laughs> although I'm sure that doesn't change the, you know, the nervousness of it all, but you guys are going to be fine. Uh, hopefully Carter. I'm like the Hulk, but instead of angry, I'm always nervous. You know, <laughs> I, I, it just makes me prep a little more. For sure, for sure. Well, with that being said, like we always tell you guys, if you like to reach, uh, reach out to us, you know how to. It's Cavalier53 at gmail.com. You can also do so on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, etc. Go Caps.